0: This week on The Futurists, Kevin J. Anderson. I'm a fanboy at heart, and I enjoyed it. And it was like the coolest thing in the world that I got asked to write Star Wars books. And my favorite science fiction book of all time was Dune. And the fact that I'm working with Frank Herbert's son and using Frank Herbert's original notes is like I, I can't describe how amazing that is to me. Welcome back to The Futurists. I
1: am your host, Brett King, and in the hosting chair with me today is Brian Solis, uh, live from um, where are you? You're in Florida, aren't you,
2: Brian? Uh, I'm in in Irvine. uh, Oh, you're in Irvine. uh, Coming straight to you from the backseat of a car. There you go.
1: And uh, we are very fortunate to have the inaugural guest for The Futurists, um, you know, the the very first guest we had, and, uh, um, you know, a, 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 I guess a regular on our, our podcasts over the years now, um, and a man that I'm um, fortunate to call not just an acquaintance, but a friend, Kevin J. Anderson, the man, the myth, the
0: legend. <laughs> well, greetings, sir. Brian and Brad, I'm glad to be back here. And I had forgotten I was your first guest. I'm, I'm...
1: yeah, for the futurists you were. Yeah, well, you're um, setting
0: your bar low from the very beginning, there, aren't you? But wow, well,
1: it, it seems to work. Here we are. Um, you know, we just had our 12th anniversary show. Um, 12th anniversary, one year anniversary, 12 month, month. anniversary. Yes, I, I made that same mistake on the recording last time. But anyway, and um, that was uh, attended by um, uh, your good friend David Bryn. Yes um so it's and he was like the second or third guest we had on the show uh, along with uh, another um, friend and colleague of yours uh Dr Harry Clure was was one of the early um uh, plays on the show um who I met through our joint friend of course John Bess so um but uh um, know everybody
0: Brett that's just it you just know wow. everybody
1: well, you know what though? Um I I am, you know, the, the futurists have been such a um, a great gateway to really talented people because you know we started off with strong guests like yourself and and David and others. And so that w- enabled us to go and ask for for you know really you know good guests as well and it's been f- fantastic this season we've we've booked peter Diamandis and and dr robert zubrin uh, coming up um we just asked david for an introduction to to uh, kim stanley robinson so fingers crossed cuz we'd like to have him on the show and maybe we'll we'll get um you know um Maybe some other sci-fi authors. I'd like to have Hugh Howey on um, to talk about his new uh, um, TV show Silo that that he Mm -hmm. was involved in. Um, And of course, um, you know, you've got uh, you've got a couple of new projects you're working on. We have just seen released today. uh, You know, and and we're recording this obviously before the show airs. But I just saw the uh, Princess of Dune um, artwork, which looks fantastic. It's gorgeous. And um of course you've been working on the the uh, the dune movies as a as a consultant um which it, it I uh, Denny Villeneuve he's just done such an amazing job of that uh of the property and, and and just um you can tell that he was obsessive about it in in terms of the the outcome but I'm really looking forward to the second um second part of the movie, or the second, uh, uh, is there anything you, 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 I won't ask you to give us any spoilers, um, you know, but I I will uh, ask you, how have you felt about the process, seeing it come alive with all of these new technologies and, and so forth, Uh, you know, being the fact that you've written, um, was
0: it 14 books in the Dune Universe? Oh, we are now, if you put them all together, I, in fact, I had to just count them, uh, we're at 21, the Princess wow. of Dune, 21 wow. total. And Princess of Dune is our, the new one with Brian Herbert. It comes out in October, so just before the movie. And that's kind of a standalone. It's the story of Princess Irulan and Chani, the two uh, very right. important women in yeah. all life. And their backstory has never been told before. So we kind of use that as as the focus. So um, I'm, I'm going to dodge you a little bit because we're out of respect for Legendary. They sure be out of their own messaging and i mean i'll be honest i say i love the movie i mean it was uh, it was it was a well you can talk about movie. the first movie because yes. it's in the public domain well, obviously but um i think that they did great well, speaking of the technology though um one of one of the things that remember i'm like deep into the bowels of the fandom that uh, right. everybody picks things and stuff and one of the the Constant criticisms that we hear about the old David Lynch movie was that they didn't get the ornithopters right—the the little flying, the flying dragon. In fact, in that movie, they're they're just like random spaceships; they just right. fly around right, because right. the special effects tech was just—you couldn't do articulated wings and stuff. Mm. And when, when I first saw the the legendary movie Denis Villeneuve's. When we first saw those ornithopters and they spread their wings, we awesome. All said, yes, that's perfect. Yeah. And, and, and I got to say my experience on that. Um, we saw the debut. Um, I was with the big writers group. We were down in, in Hollywood at the time for another writers conference, and they had set up so that we were able to screen the film on opening day at the Roosevelt Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard. Amazing. And you just wow. can't get better than that it was yeah. just oh so, so awesome experience in a room full of other science fiction writers and we had some other filmmakers there and we even had a very good friend of mine who's the drummer for Jethro Tull so we just had a <laughs> fantastic audience on that and and as you said the the cover art for Princess of Dune just was uh, released today that we were going to like send out a newsletter and kind of have a, a big grand uh, introduction of it. But they posted it on Amazon. And of course, some fan found it in 93 seconds and posted it everywhere. So so now we've, we've shared it and it's all there. And I'm very awesome. happy. And, it's, yeah. and in fact, not half an hour before uh, I came on your show here, I finished proofreading all of the 400 pages of Princess of Dune so that we got it back and marking the last round of typos, the last round of commas. And, and you know, I, I know fans are waiting to read this book, but I've read it about 11 times. <laughs> yeah, it gets so, like that, doesn't it? So. And,
1: and um, it, this was interesting because you and I were chatting about this uh, a few weeks ago, that the fact that you proofread on printouts. Um, yeah. Because I've done most of my proofreading in, in the, uh, you know, Word document. Um, sent you know sent back and forth between me and my editor, but but the fact that you print it out, you you say that you pick up a lot more that way, right?
0: Well, for the very the very final final time when it's all typeset and it looks the way a book is supposed to look, I like to hold it and read it in paper and 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 frankly, for all the great stuff that technology does, there is still really no better way to mark up a typo than to use your pen and like cross out a word. That yeah. if you're having it in like a a pdf reader and you have to insert a comment and do that stuff it's it's just a lot more tedious than for me to just like scribble out Close a word better and, yeah 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 uh, and and also i just think that there there's so much distraction on a screen and i like to just take the paper with me and and maybe relax in my my nice high back leather chair or maybe in a nice warm tub in the evening, or something. That's just kind of. It, it's more of a. And I swear to you, that's the last time I'm going to read that book because it's been through eleven times already, <laughs> and I want to do it kind of the right way when I when I proofread it. And I even have I, I read it with like a ruler on it so that I can keep my eyeballs on the right line and and just make sure because this isn't this isn't reading it like a reader to enjoy the story. This is like um this is like being a proctologist right. digging into the yes. very deepest of
1: every academic yeah, and yeah, yeah. studying
0: it and and x-raying it and and making sure that no typos get through and of course the moment it's published actually on the bookshelves we'll find a bu- bunch more typos that we all met. Mm, yeah but, yeah i no i
1: did have one very kind uh, commenter who uh came back uh, after I published one of my books with all of the edits where I had spelt things with British spelling instead of American spelling, Mm -hmm. which wasn't, was, was helpful. Um, I'm a couple of things. Uh, First of all, um, please extend uh, to to Brian our uh, congrats on his work. And if you guys would like to come on for for the launch of uh, you know um, uh, Princess uh, of of June um, or something, please avail yourself of of uh, of our support, however you can. Um, But the other one question I had was, um, and I do want to get onto the Kickstarter stuff because that was what we were going to talk about. Sure. How you're using that as a tool, um, but I am interested. Even though you, you know you've done these you know 21 books in the in the June universe, do you ever find yourself needing to go back over older books and read them to just you know make sure you've got the canon
0: right, the uh, you oh. know specific details about the the characters? Oh, absolutely. We we have done so many so many books when we started. I think our first one was published in 1990. Eight or so. I, I should have looked it up before I started. But, but when we first started, that we were writing a Dune book pretty much every year. That was kind of our mm-hmm. our thing. That we worked on it. We did a the House of Atreides trilogy, which is the prequel. Um, you know, it's, it's the story of Duke Leto and Lady Jessica, and then sort of the generation before Dune. And then we did a trilogy that's ten thousand years before Dune. It's the Butlerian Jihad. It's the war against the thinking machines, and and establishes everything. And we did that. And then we did some other stuff and we kept working our way through. And then after we we finished a trilogy with um, uh, Sisterhood of Dune and Mentats of Dune and Navigators of Dune, we just went, OK, we just really need to take a break and just take a few years off. And And boy, did that screw up our momentum, because then when we came <laughs> back. To do to do another book like five years later, it was all like, oh, when we used it all the time, we remembered everything. So then I had to go back and reread at the time, I think it was like 15 books. I reread them all, wow. just kind of load it all back up into my my head. And 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 so then we we did a trilogy called the the Caladan trilogy, which is like the year before Dune. And now we're doing this standalone called Princess of Dune. So um it's you know they're all like tied very closely to the to the movies uh the time period of the movies but but it's it's so intricate and what frank herbert created was was such a massive and complex universe that um one one thing we didn't also mention is that Brian and I adapted frank herbert's original novel dune into a three volume graphic novel for abrams right. yes and that that won all kinds of awards was new york times bestseller and i I have a copy of it back here somewhere. it was recently put on the um what was it like like the what the top 100 best graphic novels of all time or something like that congratulations but but one of the really amazing and i've read dune probably 25 times i mean i've read it over and over and over again but doing this graphic novel which is a it's not our we didn't feel arrogant enough that we wanted to adapt Frank Herbert's stuff and make it better. We did a scene by scene adaptation of Mm. Frank Herbert's novel. And that made me kind of use a scanning electron microscope on Dune, like paragraph by paragraph and how everything is set up. And it's just astonishing about how complicated it is. And I still found things that I had never noticed before, even after I've read it that many times. So So in summary, I think Dune is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, How long did it take him to write that novel? Do you know?
0: I knew at one time. I don't know if uh, it's a matter of
1: record. but
0: uh, Well, Brian wrote a very detailed biography, his father called uh, Dreamer of Dune, where he goes through the whole process, and there were many different drafts and iterations of it, and and nobody would publish it. I got like 26 rejection slips before um, somebody finally took it and, and that's a whole story in in itself it was published by Chilton Books which only published auto repair manuals but they <laughs> but the editor was bored with auto repair manuals and he liked science fiction so we took a chance on this unpublishable book and and the rest is history
1: wow Wow, well, that's very interesting so um one of the things that we've talked about uh, recently is the fact that you've got a new Dan uh, Dan shambles, shambles. Yeah. um the zombie detective um which I don't know how that works because I haven't read I haven't read any of the Dan shambles books which I'm I'm going to go and do after this but um um <coughs> I, you, as part of this you've been more recently uh, adopting um the use of kickstarter um, yes. to help you with some of your projects. And um, I, I know um, uh, the, the June graphic novel has been part of the Kickstarter um, well, universe, uh, wasn't it? Or uh, was it, it was just a giveaway on on Kickstarter as part of a?
0: I I think there was a different graphic novel, just the movie adaptation right. graphic novel that the film company did. Um, Brian and I weren't really involved in that one, but okay. they did go through Kickstarter on that. Um, but let, let me give some background so the the Dance series is we I mean, were talking about these big, epic Dune science fiction things. And I've written my own huge space operas. I, I know you've read my Saga of Seven Sons books. And and I'm kind of I'm yeah. kind of known for for killing enormous numbers of trees by making paper for for massive books like that and and giant epic science fiction. And I've done big, serious, epic fantasy, like Game of Thrones, only I finished mine, but that's a different conversation entirely. Um, (laughs) And after doing a lot of these giant things, I I sometimes felt that I just kind of wanted to do something that was more whimsical and humorous. And so I developed this whole series that uh, it's kind of like the naked gun meets the Adams family it, it's like <laughs> it's really silly it's full of stupid puns it's ridiculous it's in a world where um all of the the monsters have come back the vampires and mummies and ghouls and werewolves and everything and zombies and this this guy uh, his name is Dan Shambo and he's just a private investigator because even monsters a human private investigator but even monsters, they still get divorced and they still have estate issues and they still have problems that they need a pi for and and he's got a, a bleeding heart human lawyer as his partner and they're they're like working with all these unnaturals and doing like the a mummy comes into the office one day and and he's suing the the museum because he wants to be emancipated that he's a person not property damn it and and uh there's a vampire who needs protection because he sees wooden stakes everywhere and like fence posts. He thinks somebody's trying to kill him. And, and it's just, it, it's really silly and it's really funny. And, and I just, I'm, I like being funny. I like doing stupid stuff and they're just a joy to write. And so I wrote the first one and we sold the series to a traditional publishing house and they eventually published the first four and, and they, they did some things that, um, I, I didn't think was the right way to be marketing them. You know, I've, I've done tons of marketing on my own. I'm kind of a, um, publicity powerhouse. I got my own fan base. I've got all kinds got of your things. publishing house. Yeah, I've got, my, I've got my own publishing house that I've had for since like 2009. And these are, these are really fun books. They're short, they're fast, they're funny. And, they're the kind of things that when you read one, you want to pick up the next one pretty soon. And the other publisher wanted to bring them out like every 18 months. And I said, well, that's not a way to build an audience in it. And anyway, long story short, that they, they published four of them. And with my own publishing house, I did the first short story collection and eventually they decided that they didn't want to continue it and i decided that i did want to continue it so i i wrote the next book and published it in my own publishing house it's called taste like chicken and it it came out and then i did another story collection and um and then, but it I mean, I've got all my Dune books that I'm doing, and I've got, um, I had Star Wars work, and I've got big epic fantasies that I was doing. Yeah, that's right. And frankly, these were kind of smaller. They were just from my publishing house. And I really wanted to continue it, but it was hard to justify until kind of the light bulb went on and and Kickstarter changed everything. So I... I, I knew a lot of authors who had been successful for it in doing crowdfunding, and I decided to take a chance. It was almost exactly a year ago when I ran my first one for a brand-new Dan Chamble novel, because I wanted to continue the series. And I thought, well, the fans seem to want it, so let's see if they'll actually support it. Let's right. see if they'll put their Underwrite money on the and so I I put up this campaign that I wanted to get new covers because I didn't really like the old covers. And I had some artists who were doing things. And I I just said, well, I'll put up this campaign and let's see where it goes. And the sucker funded at 23 times what my goal was. And I just went, wow. And it was, doing my math here, it was something like three or four times the the most that the traditional publisher had ever paid me for one of these books. So I sort of I went, this is a whole different ball game now because I am used to working with my fans. I interact with them all the time. I know you're on a bunch of my Facebook uh see my Facebook post yeah, yeah, yeah. newsletter, I'm on Twitter, I go to conventions all the time, I meet the fans, I sign autographs, I give talks, I give writing workshops. I'm pretty well attuned to my own fan base. Right. And so instead of, in, in the old days of traditional publishing, well, current, what they would do is they'd publish a book and they would just sort of throw it out there and hope that they would find the right readers. Well, when I'm doing it myself, I know my right readers, Right, connected with all of them. I interact with all of them. And when I say, hey, guys, you want a new Dan Shamble book or... Because I haven't written one in a few years, and do you want one or not? And boy, did they ever! The way that came out, it was just so gratifying for me because I love this series, and this was the first Dan Shamble book in in, in like four. Years. It
1: allows you to do something that you can't normally do, right?
0: Well, and ways. so the the way that it's a game changer, and and here's and so I did another one this past uh, February. I had another comedy one called the dragon business. It was sort of like um, the princess bride meets dirty, rotten scoundrels. It's a, it's a gang of medieval con men and they sell their services as dragon slayers, but there's no dragon. They just put fake giant footprints around and they burn a few peasant hovels down. And then they tell the King for a hundred pieces of gold, they'll go kill that dragon for him. And, and it's all a setup. It is a con and it's really funny. And Manny. of course there is a dragon. And then, so I had written that one back in like 2010. And I've always wanted to go back, but again, it was published, and they didn't want another one, and I got the rights back, so I reprinted it at my own Wordfire Press. And I thought, let's see if the fans want a sequel to The Dragon Business. And again, bam, it funded in 33 minutes, and we ended Mm -hmm. up 23 times what we asked for, and it was like way more than the other publisher had ever paid me. And I went, this is kind of a cool way to do things. And the... So let me actually step back and and because not everybody knows how publishing works or how writing works. Like in in the old traditional days, which you know that's how I broke into the business, how I how I made it. The way it worked was a publisher, say Bantam Books or Harper Collins or whatever. That if I they wanted me to write a book, I would sell them. Here's my proposal. They would buy the book. They would pay me a chunk of money, which was my advance. And that was the money with which I paid my bills and lived on during the year or whatever it took me to write the book. And then once the book got published, I started earning um, royalties on it and eventually might earn its advance back. But that all changed when when the indie publishing movement came that people could publish their own books, that they could do their own covers and do their own typesetting and they would hire editors and do it all and then sell the books on Amazon or wherever. Well, the problem with that is they don't get any money up front, and you have to pay for everything up front, and you don't get any money until you've got it published and for sale, and then the royalties start trickling in. Yeah,
1: you can use uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, but that's you know it's it's limited to that platform, and um, you know know, and
0: and you can do that, or you can go to Barnes and Noble. There's all sorts of different platforms, and that's not hard. But the problem is you have to do all your work. You have to write the whole book, yeah, yeah. or I would get paid up front. This way, you have to write it all and get it all completely done and then put it up. But Kickstarter is, like I said to you in, in one of our messages, this is like venture capital for the common man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that I can go to my fans and say, look, I want to do another Dan Chamble book, and if you'll like front me some of the money we can pay for the artwork and we can can pay for the editing and we can pay for if they want a print book i can i can run off hardcover copies or trade paperback copies and whatever and so i i've just have launched while while we're recording this it's been up for about a week i've launched for a new dan Shamble novel called bats in the belfry and it's been out um it's been a year since i did a dan chamber book so it's time for the next one and well Obviously, it's a sales pitch, but I also would love people to just look at and see what we did. You go to Kickstarter.com and put my name in, you'll see the previous ones that are all over, but you can still look at them. Um, but I, I very cleverly put KevinJAnderson.com, and that'll point directly to the Kickstarter campaign. So oh, right, that's easy. Look at KevinJAnderson.com, you can see what Bats in the Belfry is, um, and it's it's just a lot of fun, and I can watch what you can see what the backers want. Do they want, so they can, they can back at, at like seven bucks for the ebook or 20 bucks. Well, you for, can even
1: maybe write them in for the top donations oh, and stuff. Oh, right? there's,
0: there's uh, we got a, and this, this often fills up. Um, I put in for 300 bucks. I will write you in as a character. So you get, get your name. So you might be a zombie that gets his head cut off. Or awesome. You awesome. Be a victim that the werewolf. I got to do that. Like that. But, um, <laughs> Well, that I mean there are like three left, I think, on this one. But <laughs> but it, it is funny and the fans just love it. In fact, I've got I've got one who backed last year's Kickstarter for Dan Shamble, who had his name in and he just loved it so much. He he backed it again and paid for that and said, Could you bring my character back as back a recorded <laughs> character? And so he's kind of a main part of this new novel, Bats of the Belfry. And um, but but I, I when you look at this campaign, because every one of your follow your listeners is going to go and look at the campaign, but when you look at the campaign, it's really pretty slick. I mean, all of my artwork is done, and I've got videos on there, and I've got um, boxed sets that I'm showing off and everything, and that does kind of show you how the entire Kickstarter universe has changed a little bit, because now it's really sort of in the big leagues. That it right. was originally it's, set. It's.
1: I mean, it's all. It's. It's. Um, I want to get into some of the mechanics of like how you figured this out and and so forth. But uh, before that, yeah, we. I think
2: that's a good. That's a good pause for a break, and we'll pick this up in just a moment. Thank right. you for listening to the Futurists with Kevin J. Anderson. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
1: Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support the Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg. Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network and Next Gen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show.
2: Thank you for listening to The Futurists. Welcome back to our conversation with the one and only Kevin J. Anderson. But before we get back into conversation, especially around Kickstarter, because we have so many questions, I'm going to turn it over to Brett to lead our quick fire
1: round. Absolutely. So, um, Kevin, this is something we like to do to to help um, our listeners get to know you a little better. Um, and uh, I, I I hope you'll enjoy it. So here's here's a few quick questions. This is the lightning round. All right. What was the first
0: science fiction you remember being exposed to? It was the War of the Worlds, the movie, The War of the Worlds. When I was a little kid, I was five years old and my parents foolishly let me watch it and I just sat wide-eyed all the time and-, and it, that, was oh, it. That, that was it. That was it. Absolutely. Um, what technology do you think has most changed humanity? Wow. And it's just all been in my lifetime. It's so much. I, I I'm looking now at how much AI is changing us in the last like month. I mean, that that's oh, gonna yeah. be a huge thing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm thinking, um Gosh, humanity, you, you'd be going back to like electricity in the wheel and stuff like that. But but I think right now, the fact of our smartphones that are basically the Star Trek tricorder that we can all supercomputers carry us, in a pocket, yeah. that 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 is changing everything that we do from GPS to databases to um, taking photos. And I I sometimes forget that you can actually still make phone calls with them, too.
1: You know, um, I often quote that today's um, you know basic smartphones are more powerful than the Cray 2 supercomputer, which was $30 million, you know, back yeah. when it was launched. So we're carrying these $30 million supercomputers <laughs> around in our pocket. What do we do? We take selfies and play Angry Birds, right? So oh, and, um, TikTok, and TikTok, bro. And TikTok. Don't forget that. TikTok. All right. Um, uh, name a futurist
0: or an author or an entrepreneur that has influenced you and why. Well that's got to go right back to Frank Herbert. He was one of the original people that I that I thought of as a futurist rather than a science fiction writer because this guy had just so many visions of the future and remember Dune was written in 1963 I think right. that I mean nobody thought about ecology then. Nobody thought about um um water despotism and and limited resources. It was all ray guns and rocket ships and and bug-eyed monsters but but dune just frank's mind just made me think about politics and religion and economics which were not things i had really thought about before when i was reading so gotta be interesting
1: yeah here's a good one what's the best prediction a futurist or science fiction author writer uh creator has has made in your in your estimation
0: well i can i can think of one that i always point to in the opposite sense and that one of the biggest things Isaac Asimov got wrong is he thought computers were going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as they got right. more powerful remember that he had computers the most powerful ones were the size of planets and, right. and stuff, um smaller and smaller and smaller um you know i'm i'm i don't really read science fiction for what somebody right. predicting. But I'm, I'm lightning around and I'm giving you long answers. But this is kind of kind of interesting because you mentioned David Brin before. And David and I, a few years ago, were at the U.S. Air Force Academy because they had sort of a, they brought in some science fiction writers as uh, basic visionaries to just think of stuff. And it was you sitting around just doing kind of working groups and making up things. And this was at the time, I believe, of the first Iraq war. Um, and there was so much trouble with all these, these American troops going over there and they didn't speak the language and they didn't understand the culture. And there was all kinds of unnecessary clashes. And I made the comment on one of our groups. I, I said, you know, what would really help is if we had like a Star Trek universal translator so that if our soldiers went in somewhere that they could actually talk into something and the locals would understand us. You know, I well, have my million, three uh, million $3 million supercomputer telephone right now because I went, we went to the Czech Republic a year ago and I do not speak Czech, but I could speak into the, um, yes, uh, yeah. which I have several different translator apps and I could set it for Czech and I could say what I wanted and it would say what I wanted to the, to the doorman at our hotel who didn't speak any English. And, I I am still just totally blown away by that because yeah. it removes the language barrier. It's amazing. Mm. You know, now, Brett, it, before it, you it, go into go ahead, your next
2: question, you know, there's a, a startup founded by two Apple geniuses uh, that just debuted a, uh, an AI-based translator. One of the things that they're going to be introducing uh, that they demoed at this year's TED, uh, and essentially, it learns from you. You speak in real time, and it is translating in real time. Wow. In in your voice. It learns how in, to speak in an like alternate it.
1: language.
0: Yeah, 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 That's
1: wow. insane. Well, That's I was a company called
0: Humane. I was guest speaker at the in, in Beijing at the China National Science Fiction Convention a few years ago. And I was giving this this talk, and I went, Well, how are they gonna know what I'm saying? Because the audience is literally full on Chinese, and very few of them spoke Damn. English and they had up on the big they screen they had the algorithm they, yeah. they had an ai translating just real time what i was saying and and i kind of glanced over and i went i mean there were a few glitches but yeah it, certainly yeah. the gist of it yeah no i've i've done uh, i've done
1: the same you know baidu and tencent both have that tech in in china it's pretty cool to watch all right last one for the lightning round what science fiction story is most representative of the future that you hope for
0: Oh, well, it wouldn't so much be a story, but I think the Star Trek future is the one that I would like the best. Um, the the Federation and the exploration ships and all these races mostly living in harmony and people um, exploring things and helping each other out and their e- economics are kind of, um, I mean, I, I never quite understood the economics of Star Trek because if you have a replicator to make everything, then what do you do to make money or get paid, but but I like the optimistic uh technophilic future. Right. Remember, I've written tons and tons of Star Wars and yeah, I yeah. love Star Wars, but that's kind of a technophobic culture that nothing right. really works and you got to bang on the Millennium Falcon to get it to start and and you know, turn off the computer so that you can use It's the-
1: definitely not a techno utopia.
0: Yeah. Um so I I would like to live on the on the enterprise C. Awesome. Um, well, there is one thing you can't replicate, uh,
1: um, which is gold plus lat- latinum, which is why they use it as uh, currency well, for the Farangis. That was
0: that was one of the things I couldn't quite figure out. I know that they, they had it, and I went, "Well, okay," but <laughs> but we don't analyze it too much. I'm, I'm you know, I I can I
1: can I, I have it. a I have a. Um, I have a keynote I give on what science fiction tells us about the future of money, economics, and and banking and finances. So I should send you a link to that because I think you'd enjoy it.
0: Uh, Well, most science fiction writers don't have two pennies to rub together. So I'm not sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brett, you know, I was just thinking too about an interesting, uh, going back to um, Kevin J. Anderson's point about uh, the war of the world's inspiring him and thinking about how, if 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 H.G. Wells was a futurist, the interesting way that he he ends the book around Martians and dying from everyday diseases, and certainly uh, certainly a precursor to what I think we started to get back in touch with in our own uh, mortality, uh, and as well, you're thinking about the premise of The Last of Us, uh, and certainly how that series opens up <laughs> it felt right. a little uh a little close to home
0: well and, and yeah. wells was really a visionary in that he well the martians it you don't really think about this too much because it it's overwhelmed by other things but but the martian race evolved so that they're basically a bunch of large brains with with very feeble tentacles so they had to build external machines to do the things that they wanted and they're basically the martians are riding in their tripods and their their little cars and then wells also like explored evolution and genetics in the island of dr moreau and and another thing people don't give him credit for with the time machine which still traveling in time is a bit is a bit strange but he knew in The Time Machine, he doesn't go back in time and try to see the Renaissance or whatever because he didn't want to mess with paradoxes. So he, right. the Time Machine, only goes into the future. And I mean, it's, well, we're getting off Although on
1: a- the 2002 oh. adaptation did have him trying to, um, the, the, the movie had him trying to go back in the past- to, um, rescue his wife, but a really elegant explanation given by the, the chief Morlock or whatever, because I just watched this movie the other day was that, um, just, but he only created the time machine because his wife had died. So that was the paradox. And that's why he couldn't change the past, which I thought was a very elegant explanation actually of that, uh, you know, why you couldn't change the past. But anyway, that's, um,
2: if I could, if I could interject there, I actually, If we can go back in time, one of the things I would love to talk about is Kickstarter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did we did
1: so we didn't get to finish that conversation. So
2: go ahead, Brian, master of the segue. Well, you you were you were speaking about uh, just your experiences in Kickstarter, and super humbled to hear how you've connected your fan base to your projects. Uh, Brett and I are, I mean. I wouldn't say we're traditional authors but we're certainly beholden to traditional publishers uh, and I'd love to hear more about the story and certainly I'd
0: love to hear about your friend who just uh, <laughs> just made the record books as well. Oh uh, I I'd, I'd love to so there well, uh, let me let me go back a little bit because the the, the fundamental reason for kickstarter was that you're going to have like these these ambitious and and visionary creatives who basically needed some some um startup capital that they needed some money in hand so that they could live while they're writing their book or and it's not all about books there's games and there's artwork and comics and all kinds of things that that are sort of out of the reach out of the financial let me say this better the production of what they had in their imagination was out of the reach of their basic finances. Say say you've got a brilliant artist who wants to do a a gorgeous graphic novel. Well, that's a significant investment to get all the art done and the printing and everything. And so Kickstarter was basically started as, um, here I'm a creative, here's my vision, I want this i want to produce this book this artwork this whatever so will you please help support me and people would not donate they're investing in in it's the future's market of this creator and so they would they would give the the creator money and then at some point the project would be done and they'd all get their copy it's like they get a sneak preview on it well, kind of one of the, the ways that backfired was a lot of people never actually finished what they promised to do. Right, right. right didn't I remember that? Yeah, what they thought of. And so it's now become more and more imperative that if you're going to do this, you got to be serious about it. You've got to show your, your stuff up front. If, again, if, if you go to the campaign I've got running right now, the <laughs> kevinjanderson.com, if you go there right now, that's not me just starting this book. All of the cover art is done. I've just today, this morning, I finished writing the draft of this novel. Um, I've got another, um, the whole set done. I've got everything pretty much ready to go before I even ask the backers to support it because they're naturally skeptical of a lot of these projects. Well, is he ever going to really finish it? Well, I can tell them from the get-go that it's already done. You can see the art's already there. It's it's a big dog and pony show production to get it going. And I do want to mention about a year ago, um, my, my friend, big fantasy writer, Brandon Sanderson, um, he launched a Kickstarter and he had done several before. So he knew what he was doing and he built up. He had a couple that had gone over a million dollars for his uh, books that he was doing. Well, a year ago, he broke every Kickstarter record in existence. And his Kickstarter campaign for, I think it was five books that he had written during the COVID lockdown, he made $42 million for his Kickstarter campaign. So that's that's, that's just uh, that's
1: like that's like startup territory. That's a lot of money. uh,
0: Well, that's and but he's a full on big business. However. I'm a pretty big deal too. I'm a pretty big business too. And oh, what I, I would put a challenge though, Brett, to to all of your your listeners, I think that we can break Brandon Sanderson's record. If each one of your listeners just puts in a hundred thousand dollars to my campaign
2: <laughs> and,
0: and we go over. I, I think um or it could be it's like half a million, feasible. whatever. Yeah. yeah, this, yeah. This, this if you just So you heard it, that. Go if go you've over. got to
1: spare half a million,
0: go but, to Kevin But, but to i mean, write that, you in as a character. That was kind of the, the Brandon's was kind of the outlier that everybody just went, holy cow, this is this is big business, that it isn't just a bunch of desperate authors looking for a handout. This is this is a genuine, viable, game-changing way for creatives to do their book, their comic, their their artwork. And uh as I was telling you my story about the dragon business and about the Dan Chamble um series. Kickstarter brought them back to life. If it wasn't for Kickstarter, I wouldn't be writing these books. And Kickstarter, a lot by the fans supporting what I want to do, gives me the ability to write the book that I really want to write instead of what can I sell to the big publisher that their marketing people think is the best thing.
2: Yeah, you know what else I like about that story is that it connects you to your community in a way that isn't just transactional, uh, in a way that isn't just uh, say disconnected, uh, but more connected in in the sense that it is it's a funding project for sure, but it's also an investment in you and also the an investment in a relationship. So that it, it maybe collaborative. Could,
1: could we drill down on the, a bit, Kevin? Um, you know. Uh, I mean, you do a lot of stuff in the community. You're you 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 you're you're involved with the Hollywood Writers. Um, You're heading out to the West Coast often. You you uh, work in um, you know writing programs at universities and so forth. But what uh, and you attend all of these Dragon Cons and Comic Cons and so forth. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people when they look at what you've done on Kickstarter, they say. Well, I you know I could never do that. I, I've not got the fan base, but you work at it. You know, you you do a ton of work to keep that the, your fans engaged and so forth. Could you just talk about that a bit? Because I'm, um, you know, in, in, as we get closer to the end of the the show, I, I you know, I mean, I must say your work ethic here is very clear. You churn out um, how many books a year do you write on uh, on average?
0: Well, I'm days? I'm slowing way down. It's more like. Four books a year or something like that. But I'm also writing monthly comics and I'm right. teaching a graduate program in publishing, right, right. running writing seminars. When you and,
1: say slowing down, it's relative, right? Well, there, <laughs> there, there was a time.
0: There was a time in like the mid '90s, especially when I was writing for for Star Wars. Yeah. I, I think I had 12 books in one year. Wow. Uh, but and great to
1: see like, uh, Timothy Zahn just got a um, he, that uh, his trilogy, whatever, relit or lit lit for uh, production, right? So
0: well um, and they're they're inserting his characters into some of the other star wars stories and stuff right. so it so we, so my first star mm. wars the 1993 i think was my very first one and it just it thrills me to pick up a copy right now to see it and it says like 49th printing on, inside right. cover in fact
1: the first amazing. book of yours i read was a star wars a star wars adaptation wow. so there you
0: go well um, I, to get to get to what you were saying though is that this you see my Kickstarter, like I said, that we funded in nine minutes and all that kind of stuff. And and I worked really hard in building the campaign. But but this is something it's a result that I've been priming my audience for for 25 years. I mean, just by by paying attention to my fans, by um, sending them newsletters and answering all the email. And in fact, uh, in a Kickstarter campaign, you to keep the momentum going, you put stretch goals. And when you get close to a certain dollar amount, you say, hey, if we pass this, then I'll give you another free ebook or another, you know, some perk. And our next stretch goal that we've got on this one is an exclusive private Zoom hangout call with me. So nice. it has a, a certain funding level, then I'll I'll schedule like an hour on a Saturday morning, and only the backers of the Kickstarter program get the the Zoom link. Wow! And I sit there and I and they just I interact with them. They ask questions yeah. and we chat and we talk about it, and and they love that because it's their their um, access. And in fact, yeah. one of the ways that that I love to show Kickstarter is that this is not. Um, I'm a desperate writer. I need some money, but it's more like a, an exclusive backstage club. It's it's VIP all access pass. That if you back the Kickstarter, then you get to well, and also they get to read the book three or four months before I release it to the general public. Ah, well, that is a big so advantage. They, they get it out first, and then they can, they can get their name as a character in it, and they it, it's sort of a real intimate personal relationship with the fans rather than. Um, like if if you know, Bantam Books published my Star Wars books. So they printed those books and they all got sent out to a million bookstores all over the place and fans would go in and buy them. But there's no direct connection between me and them at that point. They'll, they'll come and see me at a convention or something. But this, the, the Kickstarter, because I messaged them directly and they, they write me and they feel like they're vested because they're, well, they're, they're my pool of investors on getting the new dan shamble book out that they're they're awesome. part of the team and they feel
1: Yeah that. yeah they're part of the team that's a, that's definitely a great way to to put it together but um I, my my point um you know my point was that you know if people look at you and think that um that this is luck that, that you've built this platform as a, as an author the reality is You do a ton of work all the time, and you've been very consistent over decades, and that's a a large part of your, you know, quote unquote, uh, overnight success, right?
0: Yeah. Well, my one of my things on I think it's the motto on my my website is the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. Exactly. Mm. I mean, I've I've had people go, oh, I could be that successful if I was as lucky as you, and I'm like, yeah, try try being lucky for twenty years, and and you know that it, but. I, I don't wanna like beg for sympathy that I, I work so hard. I love doing you it. you, you I mean, clearly enjoy it. it. You clearly yeah. enjoy it, which, I can't which imagine is, that, is, in, it is Yeah, I, I go to the I go to Dragon Con and it's the time of my life that this yeah. is uh like, oh, you have to go meet the fans. I I just I'm a fanboy at heart and I enjoyed yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was like the coolest thing in the world that I got asked to write Star Wars books. And my favorite science fiction book of all time was Dune. And the fact that I'm working with Frank Herbert's son and using Frank Herbert's original notes is like, I I can't describe how amazing that is to me. And and now that I'm uh, the Kickstarter is letting me do the books that I want to do. And and it's amazing. It's just I'm I'm loving this. And and, you know, it's well, congratulations. congratulations. It's, It's quite a run.
1: Um, well, we're running out of time, but I, I'll just get your comments quickly before we we finish off. Any, any thoughts about what's happening with the writer's strike in Hollywood right now? And just generally, um, you know, the role of AI moving forward, you know, you talk about cover artwork and things right. like that, you know, th- there are tools that are clearly coming to maturation very quickly that could be used. I think, you know, as a as a writer myself, there's some elements of like research um, and synthesis, particularly from from, on the nonfiction side, from a data perspective, that where I may use uh, AI, but I still want my voice in the writing, so I'm not going to delegate that to an AI. But um, are you starting to experiment with any of these tools yourself, or how do you think it might might change the Um, uh, the
0: landscape? I'm I'm keeping my eyes on it and i'm i'm curious and and frankly i'm too busy to spend too much time dabbling with it but but i i i mean it's there are people who are terrified of it there are artists and writers who are just absolutely terrified but it's kind of like we've seen how technology evolves and and fills whatever niches it can so i don't think it's realistic to just say AI is bad. Let's just not use it anymore because that's not going to happen. Um, I, I I feel that all the people, all the the horse buggy whip manufacturers right, right. Were made obsolete because of auto cars. Or or even a more uh, a more recent example. If you'll uh, remember, there used to be a, a video store on every block, the Blockbuster Video or whatever. Right, so right. you Go and get your VHS tapes, and that just like within a year they just disappear yeah. um and so i feel for those people but i don't know what you can do about it what what i'm really look there will always be like a a the genius pulitzer prize winning person that's got the the the, the only person who could ever write that poem or that lyrical novel or something is that person that there there are some writers that that are just geniuses um I think I tell a pretty good story with good characters. I wouldn't put myself in in genius territory, but but let's go a little bit a step further down. There are writers who spend a lot of their career writing what and I mean no disrespect, but kind of like cookie cutter um identical novels. There are the the obvious one is kind of like the, the monthly Harlequin romance novels or um science fiction adventure, military science fiction that that they just the readers want a new one every other every other day or they want one every week and, and they're kind of formulaic, but there are lots of people who write those books and make a living at it. Mm-hmm. I think those kind of books and AI could probably do quite adequately. Yeah. S- certainly in a year or two that do you-
1: especially if you train a Um, a language model based on your previous books, there's more than enough there to get your style and so forth that you can use. Well, or even
0: just, just feed in. And again, I'm not picking on Harlequin romances because they're they're just kind of the one that we can all grasp. If you feed an AI uh, 500 Harlequin romance paperbacks, you don't think it can generate ones that readers won't notice the difference. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that's true. And I, I, I feel sorry for the the writers who make their living doing that because now they're suddenly out of the job. But I I don't know what else I I, I don't think it's realistic to just say this is bad. We have to um, stop it because it's going to be there. I think we need to learn how to um, use it, adapt, to, to yeah, huge, yeah. Huge yeah, and augment. Right, I mean, Brett, that's your okay, book, yeah. you know. Augmented, well, can... I, I think about
2: it uh, you know, real quick. There's n- the one thing that's very clear listening to you, or Brett, just you know, our friendship going back years. Uh, there's an electricity to you that uh, it's it, it, it. Generative AI is never going to be able to pick up. But even if I asked it to write in your voice with a small language model based on all of your bodies of work, might be able to get to the style, but it's your electricity it's your unique you that you bring to the table and that I think is our 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 greatest defense but also our greatest greatest asset in augmenting with AI and that I I I know I know many writers who are out there on the picket lines and they have some of the most some of the cleverest signs I've ever read too, because you know, <laughs> demonstrating their unique, their unique talent and perspective of the world and, and all of the emotions and life experiences, good and bad that have made them who they are to give them their, that unique voice. I, 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 am a, a hopeless optimist, as you know, Brett, and I, I do, but I do see challenges and I do see lazy uh, decision makers out there who are going to try to, to, to profit on some of this stuff. So we do, we do. I mean, look, well, you
1: know, you can get plenty of stuff that's written today. that's just. The handle stuff. So it's not, you know, I mean, I don't think that that's, you know, going to be, you know, it might be better quality actually with AI. But um, as you say, Kevin, you know, you've got a fan base and they come yeah. because of of your universes you've created for them. And um, well, I think that that's still important.
0: Well, and I it, kind of to tie back to the Kickstarter, what might happen is I, I have to go to my fan base and run Kickstarters so that I can keep writing artisanal kevin written right exactly stuff, but that it'll be a specialty handmade thing rather than the <laughs> written yeah. by a human yeah. but you know this uh even though i'm i'm 61 now but i'm still writing as fast as i can and i'm still um doing all kinds of other things um but i think that we still need to learn and adapt and and and, and i guess i'd be um, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another project with, with your friend, Brett, uh, John Best. Of course. We're also working on a Saga of Seven Sons board game. Ah, wow. And uh, we've this got- Is this an uh, exclusive? The uh, we, have not, we have not announced it anywhere before, but but wow. it's been here in that- um, we've already got our plans set up that we will be doing some uh, sneak previews and demos, but we will be funding the board game through a ki- Kickstarter campaign because we can get the funds we need. Because as long as I get to play
1: games, as an Elydrian.
0: well, you you might be able to. Arden, we, we'll <laughs> find we'll find something for you to do. But but anyway, it just goes back there. There are games, there are comics, there are books, there are everything that that this Kickstarter has been a game changer for how I am now approaching my future projects and awesome. hope you look at the, well, we, we do
1: appreciate certainly the, you know, the the fact you've given us your time and given us some insight into this. Um, you know, uh, if if you want to see, if you want a masterclass on how to, um, you know, as an author, how to, um, you know, be a working author, then there's no better example in my, my view than, than Kevin. So, um, and, uh great work uh Kevin how do how do people follow the Kickstarter stuff you mentioned Kevin but
0: how else can they follow your musings yeah well Kevin will just point to the Kickstarter for the Correct. next like it, it's over on June 7th or 8th so you don't wait too long um but I've got Wordfire, wordfire.com my company wordfire.com that that'll take you to kind of my basic stuff and I'm on Facebook just look for official Kevin J. Anderson, and you'll find it. And I'm on Twitter with, with the uh, handle, the word the, and then my initials, the KJ. So, um,
1: and of course you we can also find not only your, your books, but Rebecca Moesta's books on yes uh, my, my wife.
0: Well. Uh, we've written, we've written 38 books together and we've been married 31 years and we're still wow, that's great. books And, um, Anyone. Oh, oh, I guess so I, I have WordFireshop.com. That's our online store if anybody wants autograph books and stuff. Fantastic. So. Well, that's a great way to finish.
1: And thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure. Um, go to thekja.com or wordfire.com to find out more about Kevin. And don't forget to check out his new Kickstarter campaign on kevinjanderson.com for bats of the belfry. Bats in the belfry, the cases of Dan Shambles Zombie PI. Um, and uh um, that's the new that's the new project. So Kevin J Anderson, thank you for joining us once again on the Futurist.
0: I appreciate it. Great to see you. We'll have to do it again in a year or absolutely. Yeah. Well,
1: let's uh, let's see if you and Brian want to come on. You know, for the launch of the Princess of Dune, because that would be. Um, you know, I know you'll be doing a lot of press around that time, of course. But if you want to get some uh, coverage of that, we'd be happy to host you. That's it for the Futurist this week. Um, make sure you, uh, you you let us know what you think. Of, of the show, if you've got other guests that you'd like us to uh, invite, or other topics you'd like us to cover, please uh, um, you know jump in uh, and uh, let us know through social media, um, and of course you know leave us a review on iTunes or Podcast or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify or whatever wherever it is that you listen to the show, um, and uh, that all helps people find the content. Now, thanks go my thanks go out to to uh, Brian Solis for joining. Uh, today and, of course, our guest, course. Kevin, um, and to the team at Provoke, including Kevin on our audio engineer, um, uh, uh, Lisbeth Severins, uh Carlo, Sylvie, and the entire team at Provoke. That's it for The Futurists this week, but we will see you in the future. Well, that's it for The Futurists this week. If you liked the show, we sure hope you did please subscribe and share it with the people in your community and don't forget to leave us a five-star review that really helps other people find the show and you can ping us anytime on instagram and twitter at at futurist podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask thanks for joining
2: and as always we'll see you in the future